I love human improvement protein. It's that simple. It is the easiest to digest protein powder on the market. And that is what I look for. I need a protein powder that is easy to digest, that leaves me feeling satiated, not heavy, bloated, weighed down, and gassy. At 50 years old, I don't need that. At any age, I don't think anybody needs that. I have tried a lot of protein powders and I have landed on human improvement as the very best out there. It's the easiest to digest protein. It's formulated to be non-bloating with five times the gut health support. It is a blend of superfoods, plant-based protein, and cricket protein that delivers all of our essential amino acids and is perfect for post-workout recovery, building and maintaining lean muscle, all-day energy, and satiating hunger. Check it out, buyhigh.co. Use promo code MIDLIFEMAIL. You're going to save 15%. Go for it. What would you dare to do or die trying? That is what we are going to be exploring today on this week's episode of the Midlife Mail Podcast. Thank you for joining me. I am Greg Scheinman, your host this week and every week as we seek out leaders, entrepreneurs, risk takers, coaches, athletes, artists, entertainers, CEOs, all of the world's top performing midlife males to join us on the show and help us to maximize middle age. My guest this week is none other than Jeff Patterson. Jeff is someone who will help you draw hidden power from deep within so you can be who you are truly capable of being. In 2011, he joined a team to climb the tallest mountain in South America, Mount Aconcagua. I'm not sure if I got that right. And it nearly killed him. The lessons he learned on that expedition changed his life and the lives of many others. And today, Jeff is a master success coach and the best-selling author of the new book, The Big Thing Effect, How to Transform Your Life Forever. I had the pleasure and privilege of meeting Jeff in Aspen a few months ago when I was there speaking at Hear House with a friend of Jeff's, Ron Speaker, who had brought me in to do a fireside chat around my very own book, Midwife Mail. And Jeff was in the audience. He was an invited guest of Ron's, and we were able to have dinner together after the event was over, along with a group of other incredible men. But I gravitated immediately towards Jeff, his infectious personality. He asked great questions. And I became also fascinated with this notion of of the big thing. And particularly as somebody in midlife who has made a transformation of his own, or let's say I know a lot of people talk about reinvention. I really call it more of a release into who. I truly am and have always been. But this notion of finding your big thing, this notion of not playing small. And this really landed with me as it pertains to where am I going with this whole midlife male thing? What has really happened 
here, what I'm seeing and what I'm learning is this opportunity to not just help one, two, 10 men, but to help 1 million men maximize midlife and live better, happier, healthier, wealthier, and have more fun. And what does that look like if that was to be and is my big thing? Jeff is a master of, of this. Um, he coaches innovators who are committed to changing the world. It's his keen instincts and ability to cut to the heart of these complex matters that make him so special. And he helps his clients, men like me and you, to elevate their vision of what's possible, increase their impact, and overthrow the tyranny of limiting patterns that keep people playing small. It's big stuff. It's important stuff. Let's get to it with Jeff Patterson, author of The Big Thing Effect, How to Transform Your Life Forever, on this week's episode of the Midlife Mail podcast. This week, Jeff Patterson, author of, I'm holding it right here in my hand, The Big Thing Effect. Jeff, this is fantastic. How to Transform Your Life Forever. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here, buddy. Thank you so much, Greg. Appreciate it. Nice to see you. So I want to start out, you know, by just kind of letting everybody out there know even how how we met, because, you know, often I get asked, where do you get your guests, you know, or where do these guys come from? Or, or there might even be this misconception that, you know, everybody says yes to coming on, you know, <laughs> that it's easy and um, out there. Um, but we, we met out in Aspen when, when I was fortunate enough to be out there doing a little fireside chat with a mutual friend, Ron speaker, and we got a chance to have dinner together after and really talk amongst a great, great group of men and develop that, that kind of camaraderie and that instant connection. And it, it was, uh, it was truly awesome and been fortunate enough to stay in contact since then and get a copy of your book and, and read it. And, uh, and here you are. So I know it's been a little while, it's been a minute, um, that we've been trying to get this going, but, uh, guys, that's, that's how it happens. You know, genuine connection of guys that are out there that are doing amazing things, um, living full and, and quite frankly, busy lives with families and kids and clients and all kinds of stuff. Um, but you got to try to navigate and you can find those pockets, you know, of, of, of time where you can connect and also be, I think a little, little grateful that like, Hey, watch Jeff from afar too. And all the awesomeness that he's got going on. Cause it's motivating and inspiring. So that's my little opening diatribe about, uh, you know, I just find these things super, Super, super cool, and I'm grateful for them. So here we are. Let's go. Me too, Greg. Uh, always enjoy our conversations. They're they're always authentic, um, centered in the heart, and inspiring. So appreciate you having me as your guest and sharing me with your peeps and us just getting to wrap. Give us a little insight to to start it off. You know, where where are you? Uh, I can't see it right now, but you've got this beautiful backdrop. Where are you? How did you get there? You know. How do your days kind of kind of start and look down at your calendar and go, okay, you know, 10 central, I'm going to go do this thing with Greg for an hour. Well, um, I'm in my back patio here in Carbondale, Colorado, just outside Aspen. Um, and my office is in Aspen. So I spend my days either working from home here in my remote location or uh, seeing clients at the office. 
on Main Street. And so, you know, my, my, my days look like, uh, you know, I have a pretty committed spiritual practice that starts my day. And I usually started outside here in the back and um, some form of workout and really get my heart and mind around what's most important as I start my day and really fill myself up so that I can um, do the work that I do and um, be the daddy that I'm committed to being and the husband I'm committed to being. But it helps. It helps. You know, I haven't always had this backdrop, but um, it sure is nice. You mentioned a spiritual practice. And I think also sometimes, you know, the the notion of some of these morning routines or spiritual practices, you know, and, um, they can be scary you know, to guys out there that maybe don't have it or maybe don't see themselves as a spiritual person or that sounds like a lot and I got to carve time out for that. Um, what is your, if you don't mind sharing, like what does yours really, really look like? Um, and does it have to be big or super spiritual? Or how would you even define it or even advise somebody else that may not be doing kind of what you're doing, but may realize that they need to do something? That's such a rich question because I think it always depends on the individual, you know, that we're speaking with. Um, For me, my spiritual path has been a very personal one. One um, kind of sparked with pain in the beginning. And so I've just always followed what's felt really nourishing on the inside. What really had me feel safe, um, connected, and in touch with something that someone couldn't take away. And so to me, I call that my spirit, but a lot of people have different names for it. And I personally don't care about names. I care about the experience. I care about what's real and I can grab onto. So my personal spiritual path has been really about searching for and finding that in me and around me and staying connected to it in a way that allows me to be out in the world and not be quite so um, at the mercy of, of my mortality or, you know, um, stuck in the circumstance. Mm. So my, I start my day in my mind, I'm like, whatever I do first is what's most important to a person. Now, I don't know that that's actually the truth, but I, you know, I, I like the logic and simplicity of that. So the first thing I do when I, you know, when I open my eyes is I connect to that presence in my own unique way. And I get up and I engage with that. I want that to fill me up. I want my day to come from there, not my day to pull me and dictate my mood, my energy, and who I'm going to be. Mm. That sets the tone, you know, for me. You also mentioned your best husband, best daddy, you know, that you that you can be. Um, what does that look like for you? How long have you been married? kids situation, you know, what is, what does that look like to you? 11 years, Lindsay and I've been married um, together five before that. We have two little girls, five and nine. And uh, what that looks like, honestly, that looks like uncomfortable conversations often. Um, a lot of people say, oh yes, you and Lindsay, you, you guys are both, you know, you, you're both coaches and you, you know, you're very eloquent. You, your, your relationship must just be, you know, like out of a you know movie, it must be perfect. I'm like, no, 
no, you have to have uncomfortable conversations. And, and um, I think that's why we're good is we're willing to use any challenge we face, anything that's going on to grow personally and to grow together. Um, but it's, it's messy, like anything emotionally messy. And um, that's my challenge for me is to make sure and have those conversations that are uncomfortable rather than sweeping up under the rug, you know, cause when the nature of my work as a coach is deep conversations a lot, you know, sometimes it can be easy to be like, ah, I'll let this one slide or I don't really want to have that conversation here. You know what I mean? But at home is where it counts the most. So you have a really interesting trajectory, I guess, or journey into becoming a coach, which you've been doing for, for a long period of time now as well. But walk us through a little bit kind of your personal journey, your background, things that you, some of the things that you've done that led you to, to becoming a full-time, you know, master success coach. And I want to elaborate on kind of even how you define that, you know, Till. Who, um, you know, I grew up feeling very alone. Um, you know, there's, some biography circumstances to my childhood, but I think all of us share, you know, we all have a unique childhood and different inputs and exports and different things that were happening. But for me, I felt very alone and isolated, felt like, you know, not just a black sheep, but a lost kid, really. So I, I did a lot of wandering and searching and um, I, I also questioned things like a lot of people and was a bit of a seeker. And luckily I lived on a farm in the middle of nowhere in, in Nebraska. So I had a lot of freedom and a lot of time in nature. Um, and I just, I had some, uh, I just had a really unique experience to, to nature and to life and didn't have, didn't have a lot of people telling me what I had some people telling me what to think like at school, but on my own. So that, was a real backdrop that I think always had me looking beneath the surface, always wanting to know what's really going on. What makes, you know, why are we really here? Those were questions in my heart from a very early age. Um, and they just have never stopped. It's led me on a journey, you know, around the world multiple times. And, and I've kind of in the conversations I've always been in, you know, even as a little kid, I was always drawn to people and what you know, I just found people fascinating and wanted to know about them and what do they want to do. And I always felt compelled to try to help them get there. That was just innate. Mm. Now, um, as you evolved into coaching also and got into it, what I'm also curious about is how you have shaped, you talked about your spiritual practice in the morning, but how you've shaped your coaching practice um, and kind of defined in a way the types of the types of men and the types of individuals that you wanted to work with, because often it's a two-way street, you know, there too. Um, and I'm curious how you kind of make choices, make decisions on your own in terms of who I want to serve, how I want to serve, who I want to work with. Um, and where I'm also kind of going with down is towards like, you know, your own big thing, all of our big thing. And we'll, and we'll, and we'll get into that. Um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. I see you kind of, I'm picturing you now at home on the patio right now, and you can work from there, but also kind of driving into town and having an office and seeing a certain type of client and doing a certain type of work. And 
did you kind of always have that vision or see it that way? Or has it again, kind of changed, evolved and like, kind of like working with these types of people more than these types of people or get better at saying no to taking on certain things that may not seem like the right fit. And it's, it's a lot of the stuff that I you know, still kind of, kind of struggle with a little bit, not trying to be everything to everyone and kind of, you know, where can we, where can we be a best value and service that feels right to us, but also, you know, to, to the individuals we're, we're really trying to, to help. I think it does help to be really clear about the people you want to work with. And then it also pays, it helps to pay attention to who are coming to you. Sometimes those are two different things. Mm. For me, I've, I've been very clear for a long time about the kind of people I love serving. You know, that was um, born out of inspiration, but also desire. And, you know, that's why I wrote the book, The Big Thing Effect, because everyone has within them a big thing. And it's not just a goal. It's a mountaintop begging them to touch it. And my passion has always been helping those people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world actually do it. And surprisingly enough, um, people who are very successful are often the people that need a lot of support and help because there's so many things pulling at them. They run companies, businesses, people are you know, counting on them and they provide great value in the world. And yet they may not necessarily be doing the thing that their heart and soul is calling them to do. What do you do when you're in that position? Mm. Uh, so to me, um, you know, I, I love coaching the crazy ones, you know, the ones who are bold enough to do it. Mm. What do you do when you're in that position? I'm sure it's def- different for each individual. So I don't want to get too far out over, over my own skis there. Um, but that intersection may be in a way between personal passion and professional expertise, you know, and, and do I stay in this role or am I in this role, but my passions might be elsewhere. You know, I, I would imagine that kind of comes up a lot. Right? Yeah, it's prevalent. And I think it's why there's so much quiet desperation in our country. Uh, people have sacrificed um, their natural, true, you know, journey that they're, that a part of them is calling them into for success, responsibility, security, certain things that, you know, so it's scary. It's scary to explore this question. What's my big thing for a lot of people, because there's a fear that it will disrupt their current life. Uh, And in, you know, most every case it's, it's only additive. It's only incredibly inspiring because it gives great clarity and purpose to what they're currently doing, which allows them to see, you know, um, how it can really be either brought back into alignment with what they're really wanting, or you know, in some cases, people see exits they didn't see. They see transitions that weren't visible to them because they weren't clear on what they were really up to. Hey guys, Greg here. I am committed to living a healthy and active lifestyle in my 50s actually committed to living a healthy lifestyle for as long as I am living. And I intend to be here for a very long time. And you know what makes me happy? Bub's Naturals makes me happy. And they are an integral part of my daily routine. Their collagen protein powder has helped me maintain strong and healthy joints. The MCT oil powder has supported my energy levels and mental clarity. And their coffee is flat 
out delicious and has become a staple in my morning routine. I am grateful for the high quality ingredients, the impressive benefits that Bub's Naturals products provide, and I highly recommend them to anyone out there looking to maximize their health and wellness in midlife or at any other age, stage, or time of life. Just head over to bubsnaturals.com, use promo code MIDLIFEMAIL, you will save 20%. Pick up all of their products. When did this notion of a big thing, a big thing effect, and it hit you? Like, okay, I know who I love to work with. I love to work with the crazy ones who think they're going to change the world. This is also what I'm doing. I would... My big thing, you know, like when did this all kind of, hey, the big thing effect is really my big thing. And I want to take that out into the world because it is super important for a person to clarify their big thing. When did that kind of breakthrough tipping point moment kind of happen for you? Um, the moment when it really kind of clicked was on the side of Mount Aconcagua in Western Argentina. Um, As I recount in the book, um, I almost died near the peak of of Mm -hmm. this this mountain. And um, uh, I'm like, I'm sitting here deciding, do do I, you know, how far do I go with the story? But basically I was on summit day And I've been on the mountain about 16 days and had slept about a total of 10 hours, lost 15 pounds at this point and struggling with severe altitude sickness. I was concerned and the team was a little concerned that it might be cerebral edema, which is swelling of the brain. But my uh, guides assured me, or my guide, Mike Bradley, our head guide on our expedition, assured me that he felt it was just altitude sickness. And as long as I could bear it we could, and I could continue. So, um, on summit day, I was behind the rest of the team and, um, was on a stretch called the windy traverse. And it's a pretty treacherous part. It's uh, about a 45 degree pitch and to the right, it drops off a couple thousand feet and there's no margin for error. And I was, um, climbing and there was a, a a gentleman from a german team who was up ahead about 20 feet and i was like if i can just keep him in view kind of like pace him i know i'll i'll be all right um and all of a sudden i noticed his, something caught my eye and i looked up and um he lost balance and he tripped and he bounced off the a rock and he fell you know about a thousand feet and slammed on the ice down to my to my right and um, everything stood still. And as I, you know, stood there, first of all, I was like, do I keep going? Do I turn back? And all those questions. But as I stared at him, I just couldn't help but see myself. And I just thought, you know, that's me. And I just saw myself in that red down suit, face up, gone, basically. And I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I really here on this mountain? And have I done what I've come here to do? Have I become the man I truly came here to be? 
And my honest answer was no, I haven't. And I had been pursuing important things, good things, but I had put my big thing on the back burner. It's the thing I got to when I had time. And for some re well, for obvious reasons, this moment really um, shook me. And I was deciding whether to move ahead or turn back. And I think what really had me decide to continue was not just to continue to climb the mountain, which was dangerous, but was also the decision that I'm not just going to climb this mountain. I'm going to do that thing. Even though others may make fun of it, and even though, you know, and, if, and then if I fall, if that's how I go, then I'm going to that I'm going to go doing the thing that I was here to do. It's just one of those moments where it felt so clear and intense um, and, and, and aligned. And mm -hmm. so I did decide to continue and luckily um, made it to the top of the mountain and made it back down safely that day. And, um, and I vowed that when I got off the mountain, not only would I, you know, stay committed and truly do my big thing that I would, would take that message down from the mountain to others and, and not be stingy with it and share it because that was the message that I was longing to give for, for decades. I got to ask this first, what made you even want to get on that mountain in the first place? <laughs> I mean, I, I get being up there and having that break, that, that moment and seeing and experiencing what you did, the turn back, go forward, watching, you know, in a way for me fall off the side, mm -hmm. but there's also a big decision a quite frankly, a big thing to decide to even get on that mountain in the first place. And where were you at in your own life? when you decided to even take this on to, to train for this, this is a big time commitment also. Um, were you looking for this kind of breakthrough? Like what drove you to, to want to do this in the first place, man? Cause I, I can't see myself doing that. Yeah. Good question. Um, I'm always looking for ways to stretch and grow as a human. Um, and, <clears throat> and, you know, I'd also seen me as a person who lived an adventurous life, who did exciting and fun things, but I wasn't really doing that. The truth was I was deathly afraid of heights. I just moved to Colorado. I didn't own any down. I didn't have the gear. And I felt like I'm the, I'm the worst person to do this. <clears throat> you have to be an experienced climber to climb a mountain like this. This is one of the seven summits. This is um, said by many climbers, one of the hardest mountains to climb just because it's such a slog and physically demanding. Um, so the challenge of it excited me. I'm not an adrenaline junkie, you know, and honestly, I felt that if I were to do this, to just show up and, and, make all the trainings and do everything required of me, even if I didn't make it to the top of the mountain and back, I'd be a different guy at the other end of it. Mm. And I had seen for myself 
you know, I was, I was 39 at the time. I moved to Colorado a couple of years prior. You know, I was full-time as a coach. I've been coaching for a number of years, but I felt like I was, I just didn't feel like I was the guy I was really meant to be. I want, there was strength in me that I did not feel in my everyday life. I felt weak in places. I felt needy in places. And when I looked at what this would demand of me, it became apparent that if I were to do this, even if I didn't succeed, I'd be a different guy at the other end of it, a guy that I wanted to be. And that's really what drove the decision. Mm. And that is such a good point. And I think distinction that you're, that you're making that I don't want that to go overlooked, that it is not necessarily the outcome that you were focused on. And, or the again the the milestone moment or the achievement or the summiting getting to the top but it was the out the actions that you were taking each day to to train to show up to commit to put in the work to know that something was kind of missing or that you were stuck you know to an extent and and that is if I just get on this if I get there keep taking action and get there that whatever happens, happens, and I will be different. That's the outcome in a way that you were looking for, whether it was make it to the summit or not, whether it was, you know, is finish the Ironman or not, whether it's have the uncomfortable conversation, you know, or not, whatever the thing, you know, Mm -hmm. might be. I think often we get fixated on the outcome that that's what the success looks like, or that's what winning looks like, or that's what getting to the proverbial top of the mountain looks like when it's really so many other things that you're going to walk away differently, no matter what, you're going to learn something. You're going to feel something. And the actions that you take each day leading up to that, I would think also that you've had to feel better about yourself each day that you got up and showed up. For sure. For sure. You know, that's, that's why I talk about in the book, the distinction between a big goal and a big thing. Yeah. Go there, please. Because big goals don't necessarily inspire you or really add a lot, a big thing, you know, Aconcagua climbing that mountain. It represented so much more than just a goal, just an outcome. It represented the growth and transformation I needed to just do it. It represented, you know, um, well, that was the big, that was the big thing it represented for me. And um, you're right, Greg, you know, most people focus on the external, but the problem is that they're, they're, they're focusing on the external on something that really isn't as essential as it could be. Your big thing, that thing that is calling you at this exact point in your life, and everybody's got one, you know, if they're willing to just slow down and really listen, there is one there. And that particular thing has a, it it just represents a lot of different boxes for you that if you say yes, it will unlock you, it will catalyze you in a way that nothing else. And that's what this decision represented for me. Mm. It's, um, and as I, as I've maybe mentioned in our conversations, you know, a big thing, you deeply want it. You likely think it's impossible. You're not sure how you can do it. You know, you can't do it alone. You need a team. 
You need to build, uh, you know, support around you to do it. You can't do it on your own. If you can do it on your own, it's not a big thing. Um, it must serve others, not just yourself. And then you must transform in order to realize it. If you can do it by being the person, the exact person you've been being today, it's not a big thing. Mm. That's a tremendous distinction. I think I really, I really resonate with, with that how far you have to push yourself outside of your comfort zone to make your big thing or for it to even be your big thing. And certainly to make that big thing a reality there too. Let me ask an, a, a further on question to, to this effect. Um, Cause you also, you work with some very high performer, high performing men. Hmm? And women. And women. Okay, awesome. Absolutely. Both men and women. Okay, good. Th- thank you for, cl- for clarifying there. What happens or has this happened when you've made your big thing a reality? You've reached the top of the mountain, maybe in, in, in life or in business or wherever, at least from the outside looking in, or maybe you even feel that yourself to an extent. And now you're living in Aspen and they're coming to what do you do then? Like, is that is that a midlife crisis thing? You know, you know, you know what I'm like, what I get? Is it a midlife crisis thing? Can you have another big thing? Is it okay to stop and say, "Hey, look, Bob," you know, or or Greg, you know, it's pretty good. Look at what you've done. You know, you 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 did climb that mountain. You did build that company. You did exit. You have raised a beautiful family. You are sitting here with me for an hour. You know, whatever it is, like. Okay, like where's the delta maybe on enjoy it too? Like, can that be a big enough thing? Well, you bring up really good points, Greg, because all of that is so very important. You know, just because um, you have a big thing doesn't mean you haven't done big things already. It's important to metabolize the life you've already created Otherwise, it's difficult to move on to the next thing for anybody. That's what most people are dealing with in a midlife crisis or any crisis. Haven't really seen their their life through the eyes of acceptance and appreciation. Mm. And, um, you know, I've spent a lot of time laying this out in my book as well, that if you're going to go for your big thing, you can't just be unconscious and move from one thing to the next to the next. It's going to burn you out. You can't sustain it. Your big thing will eat you up and spit you out. Your big thing demands that you stop, turn around and look at who you've become, what you've done and appreciate and celebrate and really, as I say, metabolize that. And that's part of the process. And um, yeah, you know, some people have a lot of scar tissue from their achieving in their life because they've expent great energy They've sacrificed things, maybe even families and relationships to get there. And so the idea of doing yet another thing seems preposterous. It seems like, well, wouldn't the healthy thing be for me to step back and do nothing, you know, and appreciate a little more? Well, yes, you know, rest needs to be built into the system automatically. You know, you don't have to disconnect from life to go rest and catch your breath. You need to be catching your breath on the daily, on the weekly, on the monthly. So, you know, I think there's a lot of unhealthy scar tissue that people are 
dealing with when they do reach an, a goal that they have to work through and really let go of in order to even consider their big thing. And I've yet to meet a person and I've dealt with the highest achievers on the planet, people that are undisputed best in the world at what they do. And they've got a big thing beyond what they're known for. It's just the courage to listen to that. You know, for some, it's taking all of that success and then turning it to make a difference in the lives of others. You know, there's, there's, as you can imagine, there's a lot of different possibilities there. All right, it is time to talk about the Kineon Move Plus red light therapy device. I have been looking for a solution to help me recover faster and reduce joint pain. At 50, I have osteoarthritis, I've had three knee surgeries, and a dislocated hip. I'll take all the help I can get. And since using the Move Plus, I've noticed significant improvements in my mobility and overall well-being. I simply feel better and move better. I'd highly recommend this product to any middle-aged man or anyone in general who is looking to take their health and wellness to the next level. Head on over to Kineon, K-I-N-E-O-N dot I-O forward slash midlife mail. Use the code midlife mail and you're going to save 10% on your Kineon Move Plus. Check it out. You wrote in, in the book, and I had highlighted this section, you know, don't let your story stop you. And, and that landed with me in particular, and story was in quotes, like, don't let your, you know, I took it, your personal story, you know, your, your baggage, whatever it might be that you have, don't let that stop you. And it landed with me um, personally because of certain experiences, situations, circumstances that have transpired in my life over 50 years, you know, the baggage, the trauma, the things that you have, your own story. And I, and I am a big believer, look, everyone has a story, you know? You either need to take the time to tell it, share it, or somebody needs to take the time to, to listen to it, you know, out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this section in particular, you know, I, I'd love for you to expand a little bit on, on not letting your story stop you and how we can get tripped up, you know, or sometimes held up or paralyzed. And maybe it even stops us. Maybe it's the thing you say to people <clears throat> who don't know what their big thing is. It might just be their past story or their current story that they believe it's stopping them from maybe unlocking or finding what that big thing is. Um, and I'm curious, I felt like you were kind of speaking right to me, you know, with, with that. Well, um, we all have a self-identity. Whether we know it or not, we have a story of who we are and we live into it. And our, our minds, you know, need consistency. So we, we either, we, we only let ourselves live into life that's aligned with our story. And so if we find ourselves in a situation where the moment is bigger than our story, we have to do one of two things. We either have to elevate our story or we have to move to a new location where the, where the world is small enough to align with that story. And this is the this is the definition of imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is just the the lack of alignment between my story of me and the situation as I see it outside. 
And if those two things aren't aligned, I'm going to feel out of balance, uncomfortable, and will probably, I definitely won't perform at my best. I might perform, um, but I might mistakenly back out because it feels so, um, if I feel so much discord. So the, the story is really important. And we, most of us don't know our story. We're just kind of in the unique kind of emotional inner climate that we carry with us. And underneath that feeling and sensation is kind of, is a story, um, is a way of operating, a way of being. And the story is a part of that. You find in, in this process, and, and even when people come to you and they're exploring working with the coach also, um, and for finding their big thing, or maybe they didn't know their big thing or thought it knew of the big thing effect before they even, they even got to you. Um, that there's a guard up um, or that these, these individuals, men or women that you were, are, are guarded in their story or guarded in what has made them successful, you know, or, or in life. And that a part of this is maybe letting that guard down or allowing yourself to let that, let that guard down. Um, you, you know, what does, does that make sense to you? Yes, it makes a lot of sense. I think ultimately that's what people are. I think we're all I'm dealing with. We're all dealing with it. Every moment is, you know, our, our story of who we are is our, you know, how we see ourselves and maybe who we all, and also who we want to be in the world. So we're investing in it. But for most people, our story is really only stopping us if it's an unconscious one. Like, for example, I mentioned in the book, you know, that there was a period before I took on Aconcagua and said yes to this, this, um, uh, expedition that I'd always felt like I wasn't quite ready. I mean, I knew I had talent. I had potential out the wazoo, but I wasn't quite ready. I need a little more education maybe, or I needed more confidence, or I just felt I was missing something. So I wasn't even aware that that was going on until I stopped, looked around and said, what am I really thinking on the inside? What's my story that I'm living into? Um, and so what that looked like was me taking, you know, trying to hit a double or a triple, but I wouldn't go for a home run because it wasn't quite ready and I didn't want to screw it up. And there were little places in my world that that showed up. So, you know, this, this conversation about story is really important because when someone moves toward their big thing, immediately their story is going to pop up. I'm going to hear it in 30 nanoseconds, not even. And you probably do too in those conversations with people. And so that's that's another reason why saying yes to your big thing is important. Because a goal is not going to summon your story. A goal is not going to bring you out of your comfort zone and pull up what's in the way. Your big thing will yank it to the surface in a heartbeat because it's that important. It's the fastest way to remove what's in the way, which is to take on a challenge. It's that important. How can you also balance, if that's the right word, your big thing with the other things? And, and what I mean by this is, okay, I said to, hey, Jeff, like we're going to we're going to work together, you know, or I, I got to figure out really what my big thing is. Or by the way, now I know my big thing, but Hey buddy, like I got other things 
also. Mm-hmm. I just got back from a five-day day retreat. I've got two kids at home. My wife I've got to catch up with, clients. I've got all these other things, if you will. They may be feeding into it's my, my big thing. Um, but I guess also how do you you balance or harmonize like going after that big thing and leaning into it and doing it? without also like shirking or ignoring your your other responsibilities and 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 obligations that are there because I would think you could you could almost like fall into that over indexing trap something that I talk about a lot where hey I am going so narrow and deep and laser focused and all in on my big thing and you know what probably shouldn't have quit my job you know <laughs> I can't I don't have the kind of runway that all of a sudden it's cre- it could create more anxiety and stress if not managed you know responsibly because I said you know like middle middle age and, and midwife is where you know I I focus and 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 we've talked about this extensively but there are certain things in midlife that like unless we approach them from a position of strength or responsibility and everything we could be we could be compounding a mistake Sure. And it could be making this next phase of our life harder even than it has to be or that it already is. That's definitely the fear that most have to face when they say yes to their big thing is the fear that it's going to disrupt their life and be too much for them to balance everything else. And you, this is very important. You bring up a very important point, Greg, because you know, this is, this is not that this is not, you know, in order for you to operate at your highest, your life has to be um, aligned on what's most important. And I can't do a big, I can't do my big thing without my family being really taken care of. I can't do a big thing without Lindsay and I being on the same page. Now, when I start out, those things may not be in place, right? Those things may not be, you know, fully healthy yet. And so most people I was, I'm like, well, why would I go for my big thing? I need to get my finances in place. I need to get, you know, um, relationship marriage in place. It's not perfect. yet. I got, I got a lot of work to do. No, like that's the reason to do the big thing because the big thing demands that you handle that today, not perfectly you know, but to be on that and make that part of the big thing. But what the big thing does is it puts it in perspective. I'm a, I'm a different man on route to my big thing. And I can tell you in my life, the moments of, of, of despair, the moments of darkness have been when I've been working and busy I'm not quite sure if I'm really doing the thing that I'm here to do. And, and I think inside we can feel that. I did. Mm. That's the most depressed that I ever was. And the, the moments where I was scared was not because the, the scary moments is because I don't know what my big thing is. I don't know because that's always been the the guiding North star. And when that's in place, things, it's not that they just work out, but I know my, I know where I'm at. I know that I'm heading to what's essential. I don't know that I answered all of that. There's a lot to unpack there. Oh, a lot. Yes. Um, and, and I appreciate you getting to as much of the heart of that as, as possible. And it's, again, it's, it's personal, it's individual, it's way more than just, Hey, let me give you the 30 second or 40 second answer to this question. Go out and do, go out and do that, that too. Um, but I feel like so much of this also comes back to what you had mentioned earlier, though, like 
authenticity and what feels authentic to you. And that I, I would also feel that authenticity and your big thing are, are very much aligned, meaning that it feels authentic to you. So therefore it can be the appropriate and right big thing that the big thing should not be something or could not really be something that was inauthentic to you. That's right. You can't take somebody else's big thing, you know, and, and make it your own. You can't look at their shiny object or career or life or anything and say, I'm going to, I'm going to make that my big thing because I don't really want to spend the time figuring out what mine is, or I don't know, or I'm not willing to invest the time, energies, resource, whatever it might take to try to find it, you know, find it for myself. Um, just like in the training and the actions for climbing the mountain, like, do you find with, with individuals you work with that it is also the process oh, about sure. the actions to maybe try to discover it or figure out or find it? But do you also have been working with people for long periods of time where, yeah, like we're chipping away. We might be getting close, so on and so forth, but actually like, the big thing or, or could also be like, we are continuing to do the work to find again. I mean, it's a little bit like this, but I would think that some might get it, as you said, in, in, in nanoseconds or, and others, it might take years or lifetime. You know, I think the reason why this is so important is in order to do your big thing, you have, you have to be you can't do it from the linear human self solely. Yeah, I got to use these hands and these legs to climb the mountain. But be, because of how important it is, because of the growth it represents, because it makes a difference to others, because it may seem impossible to me, and because it's authentically my desire to do so, I, I will be motivated. There's no pushing myself. It is genuinely, it's pulling me. And... And there's no way you can do your big thing relying on your human senses. It just won't get done. Mm. You you have to do it. You can only you could only stay on that path by listening to your higher self, your essential self. And to me, that's not a religious concept. Concept that's a that's a psychological, spiritual concept, an energetic concept. We have an essential self, you know, and we have an and we have a conditioned self. That essential self is our spirit. Part of us is infinite and has access to wisdom. And then we have a conditioned self, which is our story and who we've become based on the world around us. And most of us think this is who we are. And we think that this is all we can be. And there's limitation in that based on my degree and all class and da-da-da. But we're infinite. So when I coach people, I coach people to unlock and really live from that infinite place. And when you generate and express from that place in the areas of your physical human life, it's a revelation. It's incredible. And doing impossible things is just, it's the, the next, it's the logical thing to do, but you can't do it from a linear human state of mind. You, It's not even superhuman. I don't coach people to be superhuman. I coach them to be super beings because that's what we are. And so when you taste that, when you live life from that place and when you operate, it's like having a peak moment in sports or on stage or you know in your particular business. When you have that peak moment, it's all coming together and you feel elevated. 
it's like crack. You can't help it. You want more of it. And the truth is that's always in us and available. And so that's really, you know, for me, coaching someone into their big thing is, is coaching them to live from that place in this endeavor that is really from others would be really challenging. So here's what I'm also, also seeing. And, and, and if I'm not accurate, fix, of course, correct me, you know, here, the work that you're doing with your clients that you have been doing that you've been doing on yourself has evolved, created, established that there is this big thing effect, you know, and this is going to be really the, the purpose. This will be the focus on how to transform your life forever. Find your big thing, embrace the big thing effect. Here we go down down this path. And you start to see and feel and discover success in this for yourself, for your clients, which evolves then into isn't right, the book, which is I've got to get this out there wider, you know, bigger. It's no pun intended. I'm gonna get put this down and I got to get this out there bigger. Uh, I'd love to understand a little bit and hear a little bit about your process in taking the big thing effect and translating it from the the direct one-to-one you know work that you do in the individual and the speaking and the talking and the coaching into getting it down into book format and then not only and and how has how has that changed your life also mm-hmm. in a and I would imagine a big way yeah well the book you know it's just been a long-held dream a big thing in my heart over decades and decades since I was very young to be able to, you know, that little kid living on the farm in Nebraska who felt like he didn't matter. All I wanted to do was to help other people know that they mattered and that their dream was possible because as a kid, I needed to know know my dream was possible, you know? So that was just so pivotal to my survival, you know, of making it through as a kid. And so so writing the book definitely um, brought so many things together in an incredible way. It was very challenging for me um, because there was so much I wanted to put in the book. You know, I wanted the story of Aconcagua and my challenge and almost dying on the mountain and, and just the drama of that, which was powerful and what I learned because I learned so many things on that mountain that changed me. Um, but then there was also my journey as a coach you know, really let's start in about 1999 to now been doing it a long time. So the journey from there to here, I wanted that in there. And then of course, so many inspiring stories, client stories, and uh, people I've coached over the years and really my own foibles and mistakes that I think were probably more uh, instrumental and instructional to me than anything. And I shared a lot of those very vulnerably so because it had so much in it, it took me a while to do it and to be able to say it concisely in a way that was focused on the reader. I don't, I, I didn't want to tell any of these stories for my, like for me, every story and every word in that book is there because it serves drawing out someone's power. And that's the thing I tried to not recreate, but hopefully transmit is when I'm in a conversation with someone, I'm locked on certain things. And when I wrote the book, I locked on those things in hopes of drawing that out of readers. And what's been fun is hearing a lot of people saying, wow, I feel like you're talking to me. 
Um, the stories actually had me thinking of my stories of things I've been through. And that mm-hmm. was really amazing. And that is what I, and that's why I wrote those stories because I wanted people to get in touch with their own wisdom and strength. So that was really incredible. And I think I'm learning what it means, how I've changed because of the book. I don't think I saw it when I did it. I don't think I saw it when, you know, we officially published. I'm starting to see it now when I get letters from different countries and people and the the genuine difference it's making. Um, that just really touches me because that's the heart. That's the only reason I wrote the book was to help, to inspire, you know, to to connect people back to that real authentic thing in them that is seeking not to just get done, but really calling them into being. This is the one thing that I think is so important about the book is the big thing is just a game we play because it's the thing that will call you forward, will bring forward the most powerful part of you because it's going to take that part of you to get it done. And that's the thing we're longing for. Most of us are longing to be a more powerful, more loving, more patient, more free version of ourselves, And we think we need something to do that. Your big thing is a catalyst. It will take your big thing um, to draw all of that out. And people have come to me over the years. I, most of my clients are people who want to go to an even higher level. How do you do that? Well, this is how I've done it. I, you, you know, all the elements of drawing someone out um, are kind of embedded in this conversation. But the most important thing is the way of being. It's really creating a way of being to match and support your big thing. And most people aren't willing to do the work of creating that way of being unless it's their big thing. I've been learning about TRT for the past several years. Um, And as someone who's consistent and disciplined with his health, physical as blood work, I have seen my testosterone decrease annually throughout my 40s. And I am now in my 50s. Last year, I made the decision along with my physician and my family to go on TRT. I was lacking energy compared to where I used to be. I wasn't recovering the way I used to, wanted to, and needed to in order to maintain the lifestyle I live. I was stressed and I was anxiety-ridden and I was frustrated. And I have carefully tracked my progress throughout the past year. And after researching various options, providers, and services available, I transitioned to using Hone Health. And I feel like myself again. Now, I've discussed, considered, and looked at every stigma, stereotype, concern, issue, pro, con, positive, negative, connotation, reputation, and whatnot. And I'm sure that there are some that I have missed. And I am an open book here at Midlife Mail and with myself. And I will share my experience and my advice, thoughts and considerations with anyone who wants to hear it, learn from it, accept it, or ignore it. And for me, it's never been about getting jacked, winning any competitions, or getting ahead in any way other than in my everyday life. It is, though, about being the best husband, father, and provider I can be for as long as I can be the way that I want to be. And I simply wanted to have my energy, acuity, focus, smile, and health back to where it was and where I expect it to be. 
And Hone has guided me and provided me with everything I have needed along the way. And because of this, I am proud to partner with Hone Health. I believe in the team, the service, the product, and the mission. And I believe in what Hone is doing every day, what they've done for me, and what they can do for other midlife males to help them live better, stronger, healthier, and happier lives. So if you're interested in learning more about Hone Health, go to honehealth.com forward slash midlife mail. You can order your at-home test and consultation. Consultation. So if you're interested in learning more about Hone Health, go to honehealth.com forward slash midlife mail to order your at-home test and consultation and save $15. It's, it's a great point. So, so good. Um, have you always been comfortable with vulnerability? I mean, and you, you share a lot of experiences. You're you're emotional. You started and you talked and in, in a, I say that in, in a good way and vulnerable and, and and authentic. And you started at the beginning of the conversation that we were having, acknowledging a spiritual practice and so on. Have you have you always been this way? And and I ask that also in the manner that I feel like, particularly like particularly now, male vulnerability, mental health sharing of experiences, shedding tears, even connecting, communicating. These, these are becoming um, more frequently talked about or encouraged, but I also think we're at this kind of interesting, you know, intersection dichotomy place where it can also feel like too much too, that we've gone from not sharing, not being vulnerable, not to this is how we're supposed to, to now, like if you're not all of these other things and you're in sitting in circles and passing around talking sticks and joining all these groups and being vulnerable all the time, then you're not doing it right either. You know, and, and you touched on middle being messy. I think we both identify that, that the middle can be, can be messy, but also that I say this a lot too, that it's also the sweet spot, but somewhere in between this, tough, guarded exterior, don't do it. And we got to do it, uh, do it all there all, and cry in every conversation and be super vulnerable and what about somewhere in there is, is our also is our authenticity for who we are. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I think right now, men, gosh, it's such a loaded conversation because I, I feel like men are almost being forced to be um, overly emotional or, you know, and and they call that vulnerability. And that's not necessarily vulnerability. You know, vulnerability is the, um, is the willingness to be with what's going on in me and, and, and to also not back, back off and walk away. Um, so for me, vulnerability, you know, vulnerability is not easy for me. I, I mean, you know, the places where it matters my marriage with Lindsay, my children, um, you know, that's the place where, you know, it still takes work and I still, and, and feels like I have tons of room to grow, you know, um, when I know. I'm hurting, you know, and I just want to be close to my wife and I know she's pissed at me 
you know, and so rather than to, you know, pop the boil and deal with it, I'd, I'd, I'll work out or, you know, stay busy or, you know, I have to, yeah. Uh, So vulnerability, I think I trailed on your question, honestly, Greg, but I think it's so important and it doesn't have to look like crying and being in a retreat. You know, I think it's vulnerability. You have to be really vulnerable to consider a blank canvas when you're looking at what's next. If you exited your company and you're you're looking at what's next, that's a vulnerable act. If you don't acknowledge that and be be okay with some discomfort and the all kinds of wacky thoughts that might come up in your head, you know, you could get thrown. It's just that's a natural thing that would happen if you're in a transition. So the willingness to sit there and not make it mean anything and be okay with a little of that discomfort. To me, that's vulnerability, and that's where we need it the most. What's the biggest takeaway or the one big thing that you would hope somebody takes away from, from the book? Hmm. Not only is there a big thing in them that is calling them forward, something that would ignite them, like nothing else, there is a part of themselves that is in them trying to get out, waiting to pounce on life. As good as life has been, there's even more inside you wanting out, more love, more peace, more patience, more creativity, more harmony. And and whether you, you know, agree or decide to do your big thing or not, the most important thing is it is that a person decides to bring that part of them out. There's nothing limiting that. That part of us is longing um, to come out and be expressed. And by reading this book, um, I hope that people get in touch with that energy in them, that part of them that is trying to get out. And if they do and let that part out, there's no way that that's not going to spark a significant change in their life. If you'd share, I, as you were finding your big thing, or even maybe after you found it and you were going after it in there, what's the best advice you got? For pursuing your big thing? Either on pursuing your big thing, um, Clarifying or, it or, or clear. Yeah. Or clarifying it. Yeah. I would, you know, I guess where I'm, where I'm going with this is that, you know, look, we can't do it alone. So I would imagine that you asked some people, you know, or someone in particular you know, yeah. and, and maybe got some good advice or bad advice along the way. And I'm, and I'm curious, um, maybe that raises another question you know, about best advice that you've gotten or that you would share with somebody else. And also maybe, you know, advice that you've gotten that, Maybe you also decided to discount, you know, I guess, how do we accept, know what to, which advice to accept and what feels right and what maybe we should ignore. I would assume you would get, because you were asking successful people, yeah, here's what I think, you know, and having these conversations, like you're dropping, you're dropping gems constantly, you know, and we'll have conversations weekly, whether there's a with, with clients or guests that come on podcasts and wherever, you know, okay, how do we also decide what we accept or take in and what we may going to be wrong, but it may just also not be right for us. Yeah. Our pursuit of our big thing. I really believe that each of us has our own um, guidance system and our own path. And it doesn't look necessarily like anybody else's. And so our only confirmation is feeling. 
is a sensation inside that that rings true or accurate or your you know your instincts say ooh that feels something about that feels congruent for me not just comfortable because sometimes a congruent path feels uncomfortable to our story and to our mind but when somebody says something and inspires you and it feels really good inside and feels congruent when you really sit with it then that's something that you know i would say I would encourage you to hold on to and consider and, and apply. Um, and then if something just really doesn't resonate at all, then chuck it. And I think the best advice I've been given is, um, is the encouragement to follow my instincts and to listen to that, those inklings, the people that I know that have done their big things and what's helped me get this far on my big thing is I've had the courage to listen to those little inklings, those little little intuitions. Um, and I, I life is pretty magical in that place. And I think when we look back at our decisions, the good ones came when we had the courage to listen to that. So that that would probably be my advice is, you know, don't don't take any of my advice. That's what I tell my clients. And even in the book, I mentioned, don't listen to me. This book is a conversation to ignite your own clarity. And I want you to listen to that. That's the purpose of this conversation. Mm. You know, and, if, and if there isn't something brewing in you that you want to do, and when you, I mean, again, I've never sat with somebody who didn't have one, but there can be some trauma that keeps a person from it or some fear about what the future is going to mean. And those are things that need to get handled today because they're already blocking you. But um, but then the way to navigate that is to stay connected, listen within, and in our busy world, that's that's easier said than done. Mm. Tremendous. And by the way, I love that the birds are in the background also, that I can hear all of the the birds and the nature and 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 your whole environment that you've created. I think it's perfect for this conversation. I think it's it's ideal for what you do for for what you do and how you, how you do it, Jeff? This this is tremendous. Um, what's the best way to connect with you? Grab a copy of the book for for guys, everybody that's out there listening. Thanks for saying that, Greg. Well, you can hit my website aspen uh, aspensuccesscoaching.com um, is a way to check me out. And um, I'm just launching a new website, so it's, it might be down for a day or two. But Amazon is an easy way to get the book, The Big Thing Effect. In fact, I just I just found out it got best best selling uh, status in three categories: motivational business management, business management, and personal personal transformation. I think those three categories. Mm. Well deserved and congratulations! Hey, can I just ask you on that? Um, do you coach remotely? Just as we're talking about this right now, or is everything in person? You know, everything is customized to my to my clients. It's kind of really what they need. But most, a lot of my clients are scattered throughout the country and, and even beyond. Gotcha. Okay. Well, listen, that is great. Guys, you have heard from Jeff. It is tremendous. Go check him out. Go get yourself a copy of, of the book. Um, and I'm looking at it. I have read through it. I keep it right next to my bed just to even be reminded um, that there is a big thing. We should have a big thing. There is an actual big thing effect and you can read it. And, and what I also like about this is that you can open up this book uh, at almost any page at any stage, and you're going to take something away of, of value. 
there is a story in there. There is an antidote in there. There is a bolt, you know, a, a quote or something in boldface typing, or you'll just look on something and you can always find find something in there, which is something that I really, really like and I appreciate. So I keep it on the side of my bed. But guys, you know how to reach Jeff. Let me just read this really quickly for a second. There is a greater life seeking to climb out of you, a force that can inspire, energize, and propel you to unimagined heights. Uh, but internal blocks are are thwarting this vision. So what Jeff does in his book, he will take you on that transformative journey. He will bring you face to face with death and life on one of the world's highest mountains. And the Big Thing Effect delivers proven success strategies illuminated by inspiring stories and his case studies from over 20 years as a master success coach. Jeff Patterson, thank you so much for being here on the Midlife Mail podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. Always a pleasure. All right, buddy. I will talk to you soon. Guys, if you like what you've heard on the show, please do me a favor. Five-star rating, leave us a review, share the show with everybody, keep the midlife mail movement growing. And until next week, I am out of here. Thank you so much. If you're interested in coaching and taking this conversation deeper so that you can achieve your personal and professional goals, be sure to head over to midlifemail.com and check out the work with me page to explore options.